When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Second hour of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show kicks off right now. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. Appreciate you. 800-282-2882. We're going to be taking some calls here. And here we go. We have a House Democrat According to Fox here, faced a bit of a backlash for being dismissive of testimony up on at the House's Homeland Security Committee hearing on left-wing violence. Before we get into this, I, I do just want to remind everyone that the two biggest places, the two biggest areas of attack on uh, Donald Trump specifically, but really on Republicans now more generally because Trump was the Republican president, he's the frontrunner right now, for the Republican primary, the two biggest areas they attack us on are um, election denial and, you know, election violence or, or violence related to politics, right? Political violence, and election denial. And isn't it interesting that they do this with all of us supposed to forget about the fact that they, as we know from the Durham report, denied the 2016 election and, and tried to overturn it, effectively tried to kick Donald Trump out of office and even lock him up in prison if they could based on lies because they didn't like 2016 and they went with it for years. It wasn't just a one off. It wasn't some people who got a little overzealous or whatever. No, no. It was the entire Democrat machine denying 2016. The other area, and these all tie together, January 6th. They talk about January 6th constantly, the threat to our democracy, all this stuff. I lived through I don't know. I don't know, Clay, how bad it got in Nashville because it was so present everywhere. I, I, there were there were some. I remember in 2020, as there was the night of the purge in New York City, and they had Antifa lunatics in the name of BLM running all over the city, just smashing windows, looting, taking. Things. It happened on my block. I yeah. was watching as this stuff was unfolding. I could hear all the sirens. The NYPD was totally unable 
to deal with the mass, the thousands of people running around acting like maniacs. Those were all Biden voters. And the people who gathered outside the White House when Trump was president and had to be cleared with tear gas right in, uh, what is it, Lafayette Square? Those are all Biden voters. The people who tried to burn down a courthouse in uh, Portland, Oregon, and were shining lasers in the eyes of officers in the hopes of blinding them, didn't work, but they were trying to. Those were Biden voters. We're supposed to ignore all of this political violence, and that is why I think it's worth everybody, um, it's worth us taking a moment here to look at this hearing and what Julio Rosas was up against. First of all, you have represented, but, but how bad did it get in Nashville, Clay? Was it? Yeah, they, they, I mean, I remember Memorial Day weekend 2020. They tried to burn down the Nashville courthouse. For people out there who remember, this was uh, iconic footage because Nashville was a city that had never had any kind of rioting uh, to speak of. And I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing on television. They were breaking out windows, throwing basically Molotov cocktails into the Nashville courthouse, trying to burn down the entire building uh, in the midst of a BLM protest. There were no officers to be seen anywhere. Now, thankfully, the fire didn't take and really uh, bring down the building, but it was awful. And and I, I remember watching that footage, Buck, and being so furious and angry that in my hometown we had allowed rioters to try to burn down a courthouse and there was at that time zero consequences for them so yeah in my in, in my own town too it was now it was not new york city it was not chicago it was not some of the cities that had you know weeks and weeks of aggressive rooting uh, rioting and looting but it was it was something i've never seen before and i hope to never see again and the only time that they can talk about right-wing political violence in a mob setting is, is always January 6th. For Democrats, that's just like Tuesday. I mean, they, they yes. don't care. They will have and have had. There were BLM riots, the 1.0 BLM, if you will, under the Obama administration when they had that truly famous or infamous moment of it's a mostly peaceful protest <laughs> and they had the, the building on fire yeah. behind them, right? I mean... This is this also goes to the media knows its role. The role is not to tell the truth. The role of the contemporary Democrat media is to tell you while a looting mob is burning your house down that your house is not actually on fire. And if you think it is like maybe you're a bad person, a misogynist, xenophobic, a racist, you know, your house is not actually burning down, even though you're watching it burn down. They also had that great Don Lemon clip. Do you remember where oh, Lemon yeah. was at the party? He was like. Uh, there's a smell of weed, obviously. That, that was like, <laughs> again, Don Lemon, yeah. before he became like the anti-Trump zealot, had some moments on CNN where you were like, okay, it's hard not to laugh. Like, uh, he's, I think, a pretty talented television guy, you know, regardless of what you think of his politics. But when he said, there's the smell of weed, obviously, uh, was absolutely hysterical I, maybe we can grab that clip somewhere yeah. because they buried it obviously when he became the anti-trump <laughs> zealot but that one in his it is remember the we played that recently but when he got fired i think um we played the uh the don lemon like with lessons for black people remember that he aired on yeah. cnn which was like by the way would get him fired immediately in today's twitter but a lot of what he said was totally reasonable back in the day so, so Julio Rosas, bringing this back to what happened on the House last night, just, just we wanted to remind you all, they lie constantly about 
the there's an omnipresent threat of political violence from the left. We all know this. There's a shooting involving law enforcement or even just a white guy who is the one doing the shooting and or 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 is doing the, the you know, the physical confrontation of any kind. There may be a riot. We all know this. There may be a riot and it will be Biden voters. It will be Biden voters who riot. It will be Biden voters in Portland. It will be Biden voters in Houston. It will be Biden voters in New York City. We all know it, but we're not supposed to. There's like a there's a. A prohibition on noticing that is going on. You're not allowed to notice this. It's like a war on noticing. Here is Representative Goldman. Julio has been at countless of these Antifa, uh, you know, actions, direct action, they call it. It's not really a protest because they're trying to break stuff and intimidate people. Here is how this new Democrat billionaire trust fund baby member of Congress speaks to Julio Rosas, a frontline reporter and former Marine, by the way. Play it. Gaslight us up here as if... Antifa, which Mr. Rosas, apparently the expert now in organized terrorist activity, has overruled the FBI director who says, there's a headline, says Antifa is an ideology, not an organization. No, no, no. Let's not listen to the FBI director. Let's listen to, sorry, what's your your title? Senior writer at Town Hall, who is going to tell us that the FBI director is wrong. And I'd like to introduce... There's no question. First of all, it's an opinion. It's analysis. Second of all, the FBI director is not a very smart guy. There's plenty of that going on these days. We've seen it. And third of all, the dripping condescension here from a guy who he's a billionaire. He's the heir. Oh, actually, you know what? Let's let Julio say because Julio is feisty. He took some shots. Play it. I think it's funny to be to be lectured by an heir to the Levi Strauss. Uh, corporation and, and that, honestly that's probably why he uh doesn't consider property damage to be that big of a deal because not only does he have that but he also has uh what some would describe an impossibly good stock portfolio <laughs> taking some shots there and I, I think he gets at an important point though you've got a lib trust fund billionaire didn't make it himself a lib yeah. trust fund billionaire Who's, oh, what's the big deal if Antifa destroys a store window or, you know, burns down a CVS or a drugstore somewhere? It's not that big a deal. Because, you know, worrying about property, Clay, is for the peasants when you're a billionaire. That's this guy's attitude. And there was so much that was wrong with it. He basically bought his con- uh, congressional seat. Yeah, and again, he's a good example of somebody who just accepts the conventional wisdom. Maybe he's smart enough to know the conventional wisdom is wrong. Question for you, because it builds off what we were just talking about with Leslie uh, Stahl last uh, last hour. Adam Schiff. Do you think Adam Schiff is actually really smart and just, like, was committed to the lie from the get-go? Or, my analogy of Adam Schiff is, remember Seinfeld? when George claims that he has a house in the Hamptons and then he gets called on it and eventually he gets into the car because the guy's like, I want you to drive me to your house in the Hamptons. And so George is committed enough to the lie that he gets in the car and he just keeps driving. I think Schiff bought into the idea that Trump legitimately was influenced by Russia. And then I think he was so committed to the lie that he was just going to ride it to the end of the earth because here's what's really sad, Buck. And this goes with the caller who wanted to talk to us to end the hour. What is really sad, and if you want to talk about a true threat to democracy, it's when there are no consequences for being wrong about issues of great consequence to the country. Right? Yeah. We care more about holding people accountable when they get a Super Bowl prediction wrong 
than we do when somebody says, hey, you're a Russian agent, you're a Manchurian candidate, they argue it for years, they impeach you based on it, when it's all proven to be false. Schiff, isn't he running for Senate? He probably will be rewarded in California. Am I right about that? Is he running for Senate? He probably uh, I, will be rewarded. He might get a Senate seat. We have a Schiff montage. Yes. Can we play the Shifty Schiff montage, si vous play. So there's clear evidence uh, on the issue of collusion, and this adds to that body of evidence. There's ample evidence of collusion in plain sight, and that is true. Have Democrats found any evidence of collusion? Uh, yes, we have. You can see evidence in plain sight uh, on the issue of collusion, pretty compelling evidence. And there is significant evidence of collusion. There is ample evidence, and indeed there is, uh, of collusion of people in the Trump campaign with the Russians. I think there's plenty of evidence of collusion or conspiracy. All of this is evidence of collusion. There is significant evidence of collusion uh, between the campaign and Russia. So this is, uh, I, I, would, I would say this. First of all, we all know all of that is a lie. And he just lied so many times. We could do a whole show, a three-hour show, of just all the lies that, that Schiff has told and all the hits. All The guy loves his face on TV. Yeah. Um, so y- y- you look at this, and I, I think what you have is a a lawyer... Uh, divorced from any ethics, who saw an opportunity to make a case for a political purpose, and that's why he always picked it along. I don't think he really believed that Vladimir Putin was sending, you know, text messages to Trump saying, you know, this is how we will steal the election. <laughs> I think that he believed there's enough here that I can make like a prosecutor who wants to take somebody down without really thinking the person's a bad guy. I think he believed that he could take whatever little tidbits were there, construct a narrative, and use it as a weapon against Trump. And that's clearly what he did. And he's a perfect example. Wrong about everything, more important, more powerful in the Democrat Party. Isn't that ultimately, if you want to talk about true threats to democracy, the only reason we elect people is so they can make decisions that you and me and all of us out there don't have the time to make on our own. They are our representatives, in its truest sense, analyzing all the data, making choices. If you elect someone and they're wrong about everything, they shouldn't get reelected. What's worse than being wrong about everything is being wrong about everything and either getting reelected or in the case of Adam Schiffbuck, he might get promoted. And people say, okay, well, how in the world did Kamala Harris end up in the vice president chair where she's clearly not able to do it? Nobody's ever really believed that she was even very good at her job. It's because in a one-party system like California, when they decide you are the representative, you never have to actually go out and win a battle for ideas. You don't even have to be a very good candidate. You are just the figurehead, and Schiff may be the next one. I think he is going to win that Diane Feinstein Senate seat. That's what I'm saying. I think that's going to happen. So this is what we because the Democrats think of him. The Democrats, and this goes to my central thesis, yep. they do not think of Schiff as a guy who was wrong. They think of him as a guy who was willing to do anything for the cause. And that's all that matters. That's all they care about. The lies. Remember, even the journos uh, were taking the, the opinion for a long time, Claire, or, or during the Trump administration, were openly saying, we can't report objectively because objectivity can serve Trump's purpose. The truth is anti-Trump. Therefore, we must be anti-Trump. And that, I mean, it was the ultimate circular yeah. reasoning. It was just, you know, right. we, anyway, that they, they said this openly in some of the, uh, the big newspapers. So it's kind of funny. We think of those newspapers. They're really all now just website. Although Clay is a New York Times 
Old school, right? Old school paper? You do the I, old school I paper literally, school? to my right right now, Buck, have the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal print publication. Paper I tried thing. to buy. You'll love this. I was in LAX yesterday. I tried to buy the newspapers. They don't have them in LAX anymore. You oh, can't sure. buy a newspaper in LAX. Clay's a climate change monster <laughs> with his paper killing all the trees. All right, everybody, look, on, on to something really important here for a second. You need to join me next Tuesday morning, a couple of hours before this program starts. We're going on at 10 a.m. Eastern for an exclusive interview with an extraordinary market analyst by the name of Mason Sexton. That's right, full disclosure, he's my dad. He'll be telling us about the great disruption of 2023. Mason, my dad, received worldwide attention for his uncanny prediction of the 1987 stock market crash and then went on to make many other incredibly accurate and timely market calls. Not only did he call the bottom of the 0809 financial crisis months in advance, he called the top of the market before the COVID crash and the bottom. He also called the exact top of the market in January 2023. And in 1982, he called the bull market after stocks went nowhere for 14 years. Now, my dad, Mason Speed Sexton, is coming forward with his first major prediction in 30 years. Something big and about to be set in motion over the next eight weeks. Want to know more? Go online to disruption2023.com to sign up. That's disruption2023.com. That's next Tuesday morning online. You can sign up today at disruption2023.com. Truth after truth, you can handle the truth. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network iheart open your free iheart app and search the armstrong and getty show to start listening hey i'm jay shetty and i'm the host of the on purpose podcast on purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier healthier and more healed this week i talked to orlando bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear navigating the changes in relationships and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. The warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. 
Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. I wanted to play uh, this Don Lemon quote from when he's standing outside with the protesters talking about the smell of weed. Um, this is another in memoriam of Don Lemon's CNN career. But before Trump broke his brain, he occasionally could be kind of funny. Listen to this. Um, they're on top of uh, the roofs of car, the tops of cars. And um, obviously there's a smell of marijuana in the air as well. <laughs> uh, obviously, Don. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> obviously. Uh, that is really... By the way, there's a smell of marijuana in the air everywhere in every big city have you noticed I, I, this buck like you I walk hate around it. i hate it the lies that were told about how marijuana is actually just good for you and it relaxes you and that uh, a lot of my libertarian friends i uh, got a little bit of a problem little 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 bit little problem with the way this was rolled out and how it's all going to be fine it is now a a public smell menace and it's also horrible for people's mental health and motivation it is bad i know i sound get off my lawn but i'm married now so i'm allowed to be very get off my lawn you know i don't have a strong marijuana take in general but i will tell you like when i'm I'm going to new york city today it's unbelievable to me to walk around in new york city now the smell of marijuana is it's everywhere, everywhere. You used to hear it like maybe you're at a concert well, it, or well, something it's, it's, it's super strong too so you can yeah. be 50 feet behind someone depending where the wind's blowing and you're smelling their weed yeah and, and no doubt. i, 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 mean, I don't it, really Look, I don't think anyone should go to prison for marijuana. I get it, right? But can we at least enforce, you know, no no smoking in uh in in public places and and make this a thing that doesn't cuz cuz otherwise you're smoking it too is the way it ends up going. I don't know. It, I, it drives it, me nuts. It is interesting. You almost never see young people smoking cigarettes now. You know, standing yeah. outside of a building, certainly not in in restaurants or anywhere else. My kids react like somebody's doing, you know, a heroin if they see somebody smoking cigarettes now. But marijuana is everywhere. It's interesting we basically flip those two. Company known as Innovation Refunds has made a lot of small business ha- owners happy over the past couple of years. Their knowledge of the IRS tax refund program, known as the Employee Retention Credit, that's the ERC, is what's made them so appreciative. This is a little-known plan from the IRS, refunds up to $26,000 per employee. Their website, GetRefunds.com, is how you get started. Innovation Refunds has already completed over 17,000 returns for many kinds of businesses just like yours. Construction, retail, restaurants, bars, hotels, so many more. Government data experts have estimated 86% of small businesses were likely eligible to receive an ERC tax credit. Challenge cutting through all the red tape. They've returned billions of dollars. It doesn't cost you anything. It only takes 10 minutes. Go to GetRefunds.com. You can also download the app from the app store, GetRefunds.com. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton on the front lines of truth. What has changed in this meeting is the president changed the scope of who's all negotiating. Instead of all the four leaders, it's really he's finally taking Leader McConnell's advice that he's applied to him. The same advice you gave to President Trump that it worked out, same advice to um, President Obama and others. Appoint somebody from the president's team who can work with the speaker's team to see if we could come to an agreement. That is what the decision was made in this meeting. So the structure of, of um, how we negotiate has improved. Had we done this back 97 days ago, we'd already have a bill passed. Okay, 
that was Speaker McCarthy, whom uh, uh, who, who a lot of folks feel like has turned over a, a new leaf in his leadership role and has been doing a good job pushing on some important issues. Uh, is this one of those issues? I, I did an unscientific poll a few hours ago just to get a quick snapshot of of the uh, audience, or at least the Twitter audience. I said, do you care to hear, meaning I guess like on this show, about the debt ceiling fight, or is it all just political theater with a predetermined ending? Over 3,000 votes. No, it is a waste of time, won 70% to 30%. So it's a non-scientific poll, but here's here's the reality. Um, we spend too much money as a country. That is obvious. There are consequences to spending too much money. Hello, inflation. That was just fast money printing because of the lunatic idea of lockdowns for COVID. Uh, not to get, I don't want to get, I don't want to leave the debt conversation behind me, Clay. Can I just note, you know, now they're starting to look back and see that the ventilators killed people. Yeah. The ventilators, it wasn't the ventilators didn't save people. The ventilators killed people caused infections in their lungs while they were weakened and sick. To give you a sense of how bad the early stage care was here and how much panic was driving decision-making, um, there's a reason why people would go into the hospital with COVID, and, and if they went on a ventilator, they basically never came off. It was because that was a horrible idea for a vast majority of the people they put on it. And it's like we're not supposed to really talk about it because I guess the medical community just doesn't want to really look at what was done in this country and others. But that was one of the worst things in the early days of COVID because it wasn't like masks and gloves and all that do nothing. The ventilator craze. Remember, we needed a million of them. Ventilators killed people in numbers that are staggering when you look at it. I mean, meaning it's a it was a misapplication of a care tool. Not only that, Buck, all of the ventilators just about that we rushed production of. I think we made millions of them, didn't we? They're now being sold for scrap metal. So the the amount of money that we wasted, this just happened in New York City, because you'll remember New York City was where the epicenter, Cuomo came out and said, we've got to have enough, way more ventilators. Uh, we, We had factories flip over, start to produce them. Trump, to his credit, actually predicted that we would produce way more ventilators than we possibly needed, and now they are selling these ventilators that you and me and all of everybody out there listening, our taxpayer dollars, used, I think, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in ventilators. They now are selling them for scrap metal, and we're getting back pennies on the dollar for what we spent. Not only did we kill people by using them, we built way too many of them that we couldn't remotely ever use, and now they are being turned into scrap metal. It's stunning when you look at this and no one, again, no one takes accountability. No one takes, uh, any, any blame for this. But anyway, okay. So that was the COVID thing, but spending six trillion dollars and this complicates facts because that was spent under Trump. And I, I know people that that upsets some folks to hear you say, Oh, but it was the pandemic. I get it. But why didn't the inflation under Joe Biden hit as much as we had hoped it would in the 2022 election? Because they look and they say six trillion of it was spent in the, in 2020 under Trump. And you can, we can try to argue about it as much as we want for a lot of swing voters. They go, yeah, both sides spend too much. And that's the key point here. Both parties spend too much money. 
Uh, I, I remember in the early days of the Tea Party, we've talked about this. What the debt was twelve trillion or something like that. Ten you trillion. Know, that, 10 was, trillion. that was the number that we hit. That everybody said, "Oh my Everyone God, we got to take notice here." And we're going to be at forty trillion dollars here pretty soon. And you know, we're at thirty-three right now. And it's here. The problem is we have too many people who want stuff from the government. And as long as individuals feel like they can vote themselves more goodies than they have to pay for themselves. As long as they buy into that central lie of our federal government spending, this doesn't get better. And and this is the challenge that we have. No one wants to be the one that says there's no Santa Claus. Nobody wants to be accused of austerity or kicking seniors off their whatever, you know, fill in the blank. And so what happens? This It just turns into an arms race of, I want to be in power, I'll spend even more. And And this whole thing about the debt ceiling fight... They're probably, and I have to look into the. they're probably arguing about the percentage increase, not even a true cut in any meaningful sense in the budget. So, my friends, this, this is where we've this. This is, I think, why people get so frustrated, Clay, because it feels like we're making no progress here. Not only that, Buck, if you just go back to the last budget that we did before COVID 2019, the new normal that has been established in terms of what the United States government spends is not going even back to 2019 levels. It's now going back to the elevated COVID numbers. We're reducing what we were spending starting in 2020, but on a per capita basis, we spent more, and I believe this is correct. Our staff can can 100% confirm it, but the data that I have seen says that we spent more to combat COVID than we did to win World War II. Now, that kind of puts into perspective how much of an overreaction all of this was. And if you go back in hindsight, 2020, I, I I would love the Marvel multiverse, you know, that exists, Buck. What would have happened if somebody like Rand Paul had been in office when COVID happened? Now, COVID hitting in an election year was the worst year, and I understand some of you out there, that's why you believe, because a lot of our audience, Buck, doesn't just believe that that COVID leaked out of a lab. There are some of you out there that believe that China intentionally leaked. Now, I, I'm not taking that next step, but the fact that this happened in 2020, if this had happened in 2019 or if this had happened in 2021, I think our national response to COVID would have been far more rational and less uh, less sort of hyper emotional and illogical. The fact that it was an election year always makes these things worse. But I wish we could go back in the multiverse and have somebody like Rand Paul in the presidency to see how he could have handled this as a doctor speaking to the nation. I, I've always felt this way, and I know we just had uh, Senator Paul on yesterday, uh, and, and I, I say this with the utmost respect. I don't think he he's just not, he's not a guy to win a national election. I think he'd be a really good president. Yeah. So I, I don't think that he could win the campaign because that's just he doesn't have those those instincts that he's you know, too that, brusque. He's too brusque. He's, he's too like, you know, just like cutting, I think, in many ways. If, if you put him in charge, if you put him in charge, he would do a really good job. I, I believe that firmly. I think he's because it's also not all about him. It's yeah. not really just about the glory of the guy in the office. So I, I think he'd be excellent, and he's still obviously If you had to draft him. somebody who's not in politics right now to be president of the United States, who would you draft? Oh, God, I, I can't even. I've got two answers. Um, I mean, you, you have this ready to go. President of the United States who is not even 
in politics. Throw me your answers, and it might jog okay. uh, my brain a little bit here. Should we tease it? Is that an incredible tease? Ooh, and we'll come back and we'll I Let's know. do that. That's how the radio I, game is played. I, I, I want to know. Um, also want to celebrate a life you saved. If you've donated to the pre-born network of clinics, you have very likely saved a life. For many pregnant mothers considering life or abortion for their unborn child, pre-born makes all the difference. Abortion seemed like the only option for Mackenzie, but she and her boyfriend agreed to an ultrasound. It was still too early to determine if her baby was healthy and viable, but her client advocate was able to help them understand better fetal development and what is involved in an abortion, and they were both horrified. They were invited to come back for a second ultrasound. After hearing her baby's heartbeat, it became real, but she still wasn't sure. And when the pre-born staff member showed her the miracle of life after the third ultrasound, she and her boyfriend decided to keep their baby. And now they're signing up for parenting classes and other soft, uh, other services offered by preborn clinics. Preborn's network of clinics brings hope to pregnant women considering an abortion, and it does this by providing them with free ultrasounds. For just $28, you can sponsor an ultrasound and help write a new story of a life saved. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say the word baby or visit preborn.com slash buck or go online right now, preborn.com slash B-U-C-K. Sponsored by Preborn. Learn, laugh, and join us on the weekend on our Sunday Hang with Clay and Buck podcast. Find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media. Spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty on demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, from this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know... Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. 
Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Finish the last segment with what we call in the business a tease. Who could you draft to be president of the United States right now? I just was tossing out to Buck that I would love to see how someone like Rand Paul, who has a medical background, could have handled COVID in a way that would have been different. And let me confirm, by the way, this is correct. Buck, we spent, our staff confirmed, uh, we spent $5.2 trillion on COVID relief. $5.2 trillion. It cost us $4.7 trillion to win World War II. So if you're just out there and you are frustrated about public policy responses, and I believe those numbers are inflation-adjusted because $4.7 trillion in the 1940s would have been like unprecedented to be able to spend. So we spent more money to combat COVID, a virus for which basically we did nothing to stop it from spreading, than we did to beat the Nazis in World War II. To just kind of factor that in. Okay, Buck, I've got two names. One, and I know he's not eligible, Elon Musk. I actually think Elon Musk would be a good president in the sense that he would recognize the things that are most important, commit fully to trying to solve them. Now, he is an African-American. He is born in South Africa, I believe, so he is not eligible to be elected president. This one's from the world of sports. I think Nick Saban, University of Alabama football coach, would be a really good president of the United States. What both of those guys have, Buck, I think, is the ability to focus on things that matter, have tunnel vision, and not really care about the external noise, but they are fixers. They can look at problems, they can address them, and they can fix them. So, And, and I think both of them have pretty good communication skills in general. Tell me the two. It was Nick Saban and Elon Musk. Elon. I mean, Elon was who I thought you were going to say. Um, that's interesting. Uh does he want to run? You know, there's somebody else who could run if he wanted to right now. I think, well, I, I guess it hasn't really been, not necessarily right now. What if Tucker decided to run at some point? Do you think Tucker would be a good president? I think Tucker would be a great president. I think it would be both effective and hilarious at the same time. Like, he would be hilarious just because he's funny, and I think he'd be effective, too. Because I, I think he sees he sees the matrix. You know, he understands what's true what's not how the how the powerful how the elite try to gain the system for their you know to their own ends uh he's not awed by or or um fearful of the ruling class which especially people in DC uh tend to be you know yeah. there there's even they all want proximity to power they all they all want to sort of you know scrape and beg at the throne and uh, it's gross, and it's not good for the people that they're trying to represent or that they're supposed to be uh, thinking of in the rest of the country. So I think he'd be very interesting. I mean, look, I've said Elon is – I think Elon's a genius. I think that yeah. when you have that level of vision and managerial acumen, um, it's. I think it's easy to say someone's a genius. Uh, and, you know, for a lot of – look, Steve Jobs wasn't some brilliant data engineer or something, really. He was a vision guy and really kind of a salesman. Um, yeah. you know, able to sell ideas. 
And and I think the the quote for those of you who are car fans about uh, Enzo Ferrari, and this is this is from listening to uh, the Founders podcast. Um, I can't remember the guy's name. It's a good podcast though. But he talks about uh, Enzo Ferrari and how he wasn't a great. He tried to be a, a Formula One driver himself. Wasn't that? This is the founder of Ferrari, which we all know. It's one of the most globally recognizable brands. But he referred to himself as a great agitator of men. As in, he was just good at getting a bunch of guys in a room and being like, we are all excellence. We are going to do world-changing stuff. And you are not leaving, and you are not seeing your wife, and you're not having dinner until it's done. That was his skill set, and he built a globally recognized brand basically out of his garage. Um, and I think Elon has a similar skill set in terms of bringing together good people, but also understanding the long-term vision. Long-term vision is so lacking right now yeah. Um, because because we're almost in this information overflow where you're in this fire hose of all oh, new stuff, new data, quarterly reports, daily reports. What are the metrics telling us? Sometimes the metrics have to be put aside for where will the metrics be in five years or ten years, and I think Elon can do that. Yeah, he, he had a great quote, and I'm paraphrasing the quote, but he's like, everybody is trying to get 10% better. You know, in your business, you got to make quarterly numbers. You got to figure out how to get 10% better. And short term thinking 10% better, nobody's thinking like, hey, where are things going to be in 10 years? Because that's how you can gain a competitive advantage. And the world of sports, the great way to describe this back in the day was uh, Wayne Gretzky. They asked him how he scored so many goals. He said, I don't skate where the puck is, I skate where the puck's going to be. And again, I'm paraphrasing on the quote, but that's how you have that vision for excellence and it's beyond the immediate moments where everybody's reacting. Building on your Tucker comments, Buck, if you were Donald Trump and you are right now the foremost leader in the Republican Party, how seriously would you consider offering your vice presidential spot to Tucker Carlson? Wait, if if I wait, if if I Trump, were Trump, Trump is the leader right now. He's got to be a part of his part of his leadership is who he picks as VP is a big deal because he's only got four years. Let's pretend that he's the nominee. Would you consider Tucker as one of the let's say seven or eight guys or girls that are in his binder of potential VP candidates? Would you make him in your mind? I don't know if he'd take it, but would you make him one of the guys that you would consider if you were Trump? I don't think Tucker would want to be vice president. I That's think a vice president. Then would you would you consider him for it? Right. Yes. I, I think. It, well, no, because really, if we're going to be serious about this, you've already said this. I think this is so true. You need a VP. the The real value of a VP, let's be honest, is to be there just in case. That yep. is the reason for the role, and to maybe deliver a state in the election in the first place. So the smart move for a VP, and please, for the Trump team, because I know you're listening, okay? At least some of them are. Pick a VP who will help win an important state that you need to win to become president. No, you're totally right. You're totally right. All this other stuff of like, oh, brings like this skill set. So they get along well. What's their repute? What's their what's their interaction like? Pick somebody who can win a state. Worthless, meaningless. The vice president, the president don't even hang out when they're actually in office. I mean, they live in different places. Again. For good reason. So that's how I see it. What do you got for us next, Clay? I'm excited. What are you going to tell us about? (laughs) I don't have any idea what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about that. (laughs) We're going to talk about DeSantis Trump. Let's roll. All right. Cool. Cool. 
More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 